The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There's so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. So if you've ever thought to yourself, there's got to be more than this, well, you are in the right place. Welcome to The More of God, a safe place to explore the more. So I'm here today with Tim and Lo. Now I met Tim through my Instagram account. Actually, I, I clicked on your page after you followed my my meme page, and yeah. uh, I saw your bio. And I saw the bio. It said, "Husband, father, international conference speaker, and author who is passionate about helping others experience the Holy Spirit." And I instantly was drawn to that because I'm passionate about that too. And it took me to your website, and I just want to read a couple sentences from there. It says, "God never intended for us to have an." arm's length or mystical understanding of his Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would simply take what is mine and reveal it to you. Receiving the Spirit's ministry has never meant to be difficult or spooky. And so I'd love for you to start kind of about what it is that motivated you to start teaching this way. Sure. Well, I grew up in a traditional Assemblies of God church, a Pentecostal church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, we weren't like Southern Pentecostal, running the aisles, whatever. <laughs> but our, it was really solid, honestly. You know, our church was very open during the charismatic renewal in the 70s. We would have, I remember several different occasions of having rows of nuns that had come to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, our pastor really navigated all that well. And then when the Jesus people came, I remember them putting up uh, all these teenagers and young people with bell-bottom jeans and no shoes, and they had to <laughs> make an announcement, please don't smoke in the lobby. You know, <laughs> this is the 70s. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly right. But I mean, so this a traditional Pentecostal churches typically didn't navigate that well. If, if you didn't dress in a three-piece polyester suit, you're not one of us, you know, kind of bad stuff that way. But our church really did well. However, the other side of our church was it was the home church of the evangelist R.W. Schambach, who was a great man of God, you know, and, and of families, dear friends for years. As a matter of fact, most of the church leadership were a lot of his relatives, brother-in-laws and brothers and things like that, Schambachs and Starners and tremendous people. So our church had kind of an ex- broad exposure from the charismatic renewal folks all the way to the you know, tent preacher kind of a, kind of a thing. However, from my earliest childhood, I've always been very analytical, probably hyper analytical. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled myself in receiving spirit baptism because I, it wasn't what I thought. You know, there's two types of doctrine. There's taught, proclaimed, hopefully biblical doctrine. And then there's assumed doctrine. And sometimes assumed doctrine carries more power in people's hearts. I had never really stopped to realize that the only people I'd ever noticed being baptized in the Spirit were those that received in a noticeable way. Mm-hmm. And even then, I hadn't really stopped to reflect that, you know, that may not be the Lord. That may be they're having a medical episode. And at the <laughs> altar, you know, I mean, you just don't know. And, you know, the worst case scenario could be feigned or put on. But, you know, there's always Holy Spirit and human activity mingled together. But I didn't know. So I prayed to receive the baptism of the Spirit for about two and a half years and grew very, very discouraged with it. Mm-hmm. All my friends received, even one time at a youth service, I brought in a kid that I dared from school to come in because he was reading a satanic Bible. And I dared him, oh, Satan has little come to church. You know, He came and he got gloriously saved. He got delivered. He's screeching. Demons were coming out of him. He got beautifully saved. And he goes, thank you. And then he starts speaking in tongues. <laughs> And I was like, serious, God? What gives, you know? And, um, you know, he was like, 
a second old in the Lord and, yep. you know, just like Acts 10 kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I really struggled with that. And seeing, seeing all that on a spectrum, though, was really healthy for me. Um, when I was 12 years old and, and uh, baptized in the Spirit, although I'm sure I was being baptized from the first time I ever saw it, you know. But um, when the language of the Spirit came to confirm that to me, it was very, very curious I, I still contend that, that God moves in people uniquely, knows exactly what they need that's going to provoke them to faith and draw them deeper. And he has a really great way of making you thirsty and hungry. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a matter of fact moment. My, my biggest apex of goosebumps and all that stuff had happened probably much previous in, in my seeking. But all of a sudden, uh, at, everyone had left. I was there all by myself at a camp altar. They had shut the lights out and it was just me. <laughs> kind of trying to give me the hint to get out. And I just kind of was doing a wind down. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm done. I actually had 74 tally marks in the back of my Bible of all the times I prayed to be that. But I, it was a lot more than that. I just could never emotionally do 75. Aww. So I probably 20 more beyond that. And I'm like, God, I'm done. Something's wrong with me. It must not be for me and all that stuff. And so I thought before I got up and left, I at least needed to say thank you that I didn't have to go to hell. So I was like, well, thank you, Lord. At least I'm saved or whatever. It was a really pathetic tail between <laughs> the legs prayer. And all of a sudden I sensed God's presence, like I have a million times before. And I just kind of weighed it and out of the blue in my inside my inner being again came these funny words that were just there and all of a sudden it dawned on me that those words had never come previously when i was playing video games or shooting hoops or hanging out or doing school whatever but those had only come prompting the prompting had only come to me when the holy spirit was upon me and i literally said out loud because no one was around i mean i didn't yell it but conversationally god have you you've been trying to get me to say this all the time i didn't feel a resounding chorus of angels sing a big chord of yes or something like that. But just inside, I felt, you know, the way I articulate it to people now when talking about getting confidence and urging for the Holy Spirit, it's like the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you stands up to his tallest posture and you just feel suddenly encouraged. And, you know, and it wasn't, I, I could have resisted it, but I, I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I literally cleared my throat and began to speak of the promptings that were there. And I was like, come on, I could have done that a whole lot earlier, <laughs> but I sure love the process though. And then the next day I was at a 7-Eleven buying some bubble gum and there was a lady in the aisle and she was upset. And I sensed the Holy Spirit's presence. And I was like waiting for her to get out of the way. And I kind of covered my mouth and said, uh, God, why do I feel your Holy Spirit in the candy aisle? It was really strange. And again, being analytical. And then I literally said, you know, out loud again, quiet prayer, but God, do you want me to talk to her? And just at that moment, when I asked that question, the same spot in my inner being where those words had come at spirit baptism came the simple sentence, are you okay? Which I was a 12 year old kid would have never asked a lady in her thirties. My thought would have been, can you move away from the hubba bubba, please? You know, (laughs) I wanted to get in there. But um, I had just enough courage, like I had the night before. God didn't make me, but I had like one more member on my interior board of directors voted yes. And so I went to her and I said, are you okay? And she kind of turned and bit my head off. So I was very perplexed by that. I stepped away. I'm thinking, man, if this is God, why didn't that go better? What's wrong? Maybe God, did I mess this up? God, do you want me to say something else to her? And then when I waited, and again, this is all happening, very quiet, covered mouth, whispery kind of prayer in the candy aisle. And uh, when I asked Lord, is there something else? Then the next sentence came and I had just enough courage. I said that to her, despite her pretty rude reaction. But within three minutes, I was leading her to the Lord because he kept on giving me the words to say. And I realized that God had put on 
the subtitles in my life prophetically at spirit baptism. And so tongues was never weird for me. Tongues was always a sign to me that God would guide me in what to say. And so like some people get all weirded out, but it's very practical to me. I know whenever I pray in the spirit that I'm cooperating with promptings from the Holy Spirit. And so if, you know, the, the, our mantra and ministry has been for almost 30 years. If you can trust God to guide you to speak in the unknown tongue, how much more significantly can you trust him to guide your known language hmm. to minister to people? So as a 12-year-old kid, in the next 60 days, I led 27 people to the Lord, uh, almost all of them adults, and almost all of them at the mall or at a store or something like that. It just it wasn't because I'm some great evangelist, but I can read the subtitles. And so at, at uh, 14, felt called in the ministry and you know, in Bible college, and we just have always done this. Wow. That's an awesome story. You brought up a couple points that I want to kind of go back to. Number one, how discouraging it can be when you pray and you don't feel like anything happened. It took me over six years and mm-hmm. I was distraught by that. So what do it you must think? Have been something woefully wrong with you. Well, some, something so sure wrong with me, me, right? All that <laughs> sin in my life, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that every time it rains, God is crying about something you've done. Way yes, to go. Pro- <laughs> That was it. That was it. I had to really understand, and it took me years to finally believe that it's something that he never says no, that he wants for everyone. But but I think for me, it was this this feeling of, I must not be worthy enough to receive it. Do you feel like that's a common problem that you see as you're helping people? Yeah, absolutely. And also a misconception, you know, some of these assumed doctrines I always assumed, and maybe this is common, it seems and when I talk with people, but I've certainly not interviewed the world on this, but it seems common that people think that they go and pray and they might get really close or they, oh, I was, oh, I was so close. But then the next time they go to seek, they start at the same spot, like shoots and ladders. You make a mistake and you go all the way back to the bottom. <laughs> it's not that way. Biblically, you know, the, the question that I do in our our altar worker training all the time to start off with asking this question because it affects everything is spirit baptism an event or a process mm-hmm. and the way you answer that question affects your view of the gift it views certainly affects how you pray with people and minister to others but biblically when jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven he told them don't go home 63 miles to the north go to jerusalem instead 1500 feet you know across the kidron valley and they when he ascended to heaven and the angel said what are you looking at do what Jesus said. And they turned their shoes westward and went past the Kidron Valley. And the moment they obeyed him, they stepped into the process of being baptized in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And when should someone leave that process? Well, you know, of course, Paul says never remain in the state. So really the process of being a hungry seeker should be there all the days of our life. And tongues comes as a sign confirming that, yeah, we've been filled, but man, we need to keep, you know, stay under the waterfalls. And so in light of that, tongues is actually rather insignificant. I mean, spirit baptism is the size of Texas and tongues is the size of Lubbock, you know, <laughs> in Texas. I mean, it's just that way. And uh, But often people get so myopic and look for the sign rather than actually the town they're going to. I mean, mm. can you imagine going, driving into Charlotte or whatever and go, welcome to Charlotte and just stopping and parking there and go, we're here, everyone. You know, this is Charlotte. Yeah. No, that's just a sign indicating you're entering Charlotte. Charlotte's a lot bigger. And so I found with with, uh, long-term seekers, just explaining to them, asking them leading questions like, since you first started praying, you mean, you know, however long it's been, months, years, whatever, since you started praying, haven't you noticed that there's been more closeness, more power, more help, more strength, more hunger? Well, yeah. Oh, so, okay. So even your your experience validates that you're in the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit and 
you know, even after tongues comes, it's not like you're going to go, I'm done with that. Right. You know, so I found just putting people at ease and letting them know, Hey, you're on the right path. You're walking towards the Lord. This is not a, like you said, he never, this is a gift he gives. It's not a gift he withholds Mm -hmm. and uh, putting, letting people just kind of go the moment they take a deep breath and their shoulders go down, they're seconds away from speaking in tongues. It's it's the funniest thing. Well, and I know for me too, I had, tried to speak in tongues thinking that maybe I, maybe I can, I feel something. So maybe I'll just try. And I never thought that was it because I thought like a lot of people, I think that it was going to be some kind of trance or like he was going to do it to me, which he can do that to people. But for a lot of people, I don't think it's like that. Was it like that for you or was it your choice? And how did it feel for somebody maybe who has tried or thought about trying? How did it feel for you? Well, there, biblically, there is a usual or typical way God does something. And then there is the unusual or, or atypical way that he does something. You know, even hearing the gospel usually comes through a human messenger. Atypically, bright light from heaven, audible voice, scales of eyes, <laughs> knocked to the ground, right? You know, that's atypical. Um, the same thing with spirit baptism. On the day of Pentecost, it was rather atypical as God opened up the heavens, this sound like wind, the appearance like fire, you know, all the, the you know, all these things that happened, those were never repeated. They're atypical. But the actual gift, they were all filled and began to speak. Later on then, we don't really read, except for Acts 10, of anything that kind of happened with great balls of fire. Uh, matter of fact, Acts 19 is so matter of fact, Paul laid his hands upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. I mean, it's like making a cake, of, you know, a scoop of sugar, a scoop of flour, lots of chocolate, you know. And uh, for me, the actual moment that I yielded to the prompting of speaking in tongues was rather mechanical for me. It wasn't unholy, but I wasn't caught up into heaven hearing Pink Floyd music because I was, you know, in a state of spiritual vertigo. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people are waiting for that moment. The utterance process, the, the actual word utterance in the Greek is something only Luke uses in his writing and writing in the book of Acts. Acts 2, they began to speak as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterance. And then verse 14, when Peter stood, stood up and addressed the crowd, it's the same word. And it's, you know, you don't need to know Greek to understand the Bible by any means. But but apo thengamai, apo, like apostle, to send, right, the verb. And then thengamai is data. So they began to speak as the Holy Spirit was sending them the data to speak. He turned the subtitles, held up the cue cards. He didn't make them speak, which is a very common hang-up people have. They're, mm-hmm. they hear them, oh, Jesus, just take control. Take, I, take control of my mouth, you know. And they continue to speak in English out of their forced brain rather than trying to speak out of their spirit. But um, I found with folks over the years that uh, long-term seekers, that if they'll get in the presence of God to where they're aware of the Lord's presence— confident he's there with them, which he is anyway, but sometimes we need that assurance. And then stop speaking when the Holy Spirit is upon you. Clamp your lips because you don't want to talk out of your brain in those moments. You want to talk out of your spirit. So become sensitive to the Lord and listen. And then in those moments, whatever the prompting comes from the Holy Spirit inside of you, he's not going to be someone else. Same Holy Spirit that's lived inside of you, that's guided you, led you, helped you to experience Jesus. He'll begin just to simply prompt you in some way. I don't know how he'll do it. That belongs to him. But that take Jesus at his word and and begin to follow the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. So another thing that you had said was, let me find it here. On your website, you said that you have been to every state and 50 plus nations kind of ministering the Holy Spirit. And I would assume that a lot of these hindrances are the same throughout the world. They're 
the, the same kind of common things that you see. So other than the yeah. two we just talked about, what are some other ones that are common yeah. hindrances that you've seen? So I've noticed in traveling, whether we're in the United States, we're typically in North America about 75% of the year and about 25% of the year overseas. We've done it for almost 30 years now, about 300 services a year. I've noticed that there are eight common things that are causing people to struggle, not in drawing near to God, but struggle in discovering the utterance, the prompting to speak in tongues. It's not only getting in the spot where you can hear, sensitizing, drawing near, and, but identifying it kind of validating it, going, okay, with faith, and then acting upon it. And a lot of people are waiting for God just to hit him over the hammer, over the head with a magic hammer at that moment, or, you know, whatever, or put the chloroform rag of the Holy Spirit over their mouth, you know, kind of a thing. And then they just wake up in the drainage ditch outside, speaking in tongues two days later. But it is a very, it's a very interactive process. He prompts, we speak. And that that is in those processes, he is mentoring us on what to do with that anointing afterwards, which is very fatherly. No, no wonder called the promise of the father. So here are some of them, these eight common hindrances. Number one, teaching against the experience. Um, if you're raised as a child saying, you know, Sunday school, your grandma told you people that speak in tongues are full of the devil. You can be a PhD in theology and still have that hanging in there. And the only thing to, you know, kind of uh, cure that would be spending time in the word of God, which is the only thing that can cure that. A shy or introverted personality. Um, that's not a deficit or a sin. Some people are quiet and they if they only have opportunity to receive in a big, loud, complicated group setting, social setting, they're never going to become vulnerable, which is a major key in, in acting out on those things. Never be vulnerable in those moments. So get alone. You know, if I ask people in an in a audience, uh, how many of you received all by yourself? You know, there'll be, you know, a portion, maybe 20 to 25% of the people that have received the experience. And I'll ask them, how many of you received in your car? It will be about half. How many received in getting ready, tub, shower, brushing your teeth, whatever? It'll be maybe another 20%. And then a laundry room, tree stand, garage, you know, this kind of a thing, front back porch at dark, you know, just getting alone with the Lord where no one is around and where you feel rather free. Um, third would be a hyper-analytical mindset where, you know, you're analyzing, well, I kind of feel the Lord. Well, I kind of feel loose. Well, I'm not going to fall over. I don't know. I have been standing for a while. My knees are locked. And well, I kind of feel a breeze, but no, my neck is sweaty and there's an air vent back there, you know, <laughs> and all these things. And, and for you to tell a hyper-analytical person to not analyze is impossible, but just try your best to minimize, recognize what is your analysis. Analyzers like to do that. Go, oh, this is me. Okay. I'm analyzing that. And just try to your best to push it to the side. It will take some practice probably, but you'll, that will actually help you in growing. Then where, when did this prompting come? What, where did it come from? Did it come from me thinking, going, hmm, if I was to invent a crazy language, what would I invent? You know, well, if it comes from that spot, you analyze that. So then obviously that's you. But if it came from nowhere when the Holy Spirit's upon you, then that's a different spot. Um, a passive approach to seeking. Number four would be like someone that either doesn't have a prayer life, that maybe they're a new Christian or they came from maybe a more Gothic style church environment where the priest does everything. And so they're waiting for someone to give it to them or they don't know how to pray or they're, you know, they just are so afraid. But this is very interactive. And every occasion of spirit baptism in the Bible was very, very interactive. You have to kind of not that you have to yell or scream, but I encourage people at least use a whisper, lift a hand, you know, take some steps of vulnerability towards the Lord. Number five, overwhelming feelings of unworthiness, which is what kind of triggered uh, this conversation a moment ago. 
I think everybody has those mm-hmm. and, and about everything spiritually, because honestly, if we all got what we deserved, we'd all be frying in hell right now. And so in, it's important to realize in every transaction, spiritually, only Jesus can ever supply the commodity of worthiness. Mm-hmm. Not that we're like always, oh, I'm just the worst, but hey, without Jesus, that's accurate. And so we recognize him and put our trust in him to supply that for the worthiness. Number six, a hyper-respectful or cultural background. Not to be misunderstood or, or sweeping generalizations, but there are certain areas of the world that have very constructed social order, such as, um, this is just a small sampling, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, caste system. You are caste number three. So don't go knocking on the door of cast number two and certainly don't even wave at, you know, so this sort of mindset and there are other places as well. You can not be raised in that environment, but, but feel that you belong in a certain spot and you're not worthy to drive through that neighborhood kind of a feeling. And so spiritually you would never, even if you got the prompting, you would never attempt to cooperate unless you really felt permission from the upper echelon saying, do it. And so in these environments, or when I sense this is an issue, I like to use the story of Esther. She wouldn't approach the king until she felt the scepter extended. And and I share with them, you know, Jesus's promises to you, scepter extended. And then you prayed and he sent his Holy Spirit upon you. His scepter has been extended now twice. For you not to act upon the prompting would be an embarrassment, would be the wrong thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then uh, number seven, diverting the anointing to physical reactions, shaking, jumping, falling instead of speaking. And it's great to feel his presence, man. I love when God's presence comes upon me and I'm lightheaded, shake, rattle, roll, fall, jump, leap, laugh, roll. You know, that's all great. But spirit baptism at essence is a verbal anointing. It's a power to speak, to be witness. And so I've found over the years, if you pray with someone and they're shaking and trembling, nothing wrong with that. We experience God's presence in a lot of different ways. But if shaking and trembling, if you just say something to them, like a lady a couple nights ago, I just gently touched her on the hands and kind of got her attention as her hands were shaking. And I said, you feel God's presence? And she goes, oh yeah. I said, well, this is, remember, this is a verbal anointing. So why don't you try your best to squeeze like a tube of toothpaste, all that, that's that shaking in your hand, squeeze it out of your mouth. And she looked at me kind of funny and she went, and began to speak in tongues right away. <laughs> oh, I get, you know, it just was, people just didn't know. And then the final one is uh, unrealistic expectations of certain physical reactions or responses. And, I, you know, I've seen people that they go, well, I, I can't follow that prompting because I'm not crying yet mm-hmm. or I'm not whatever. And the Bible just never gives any emotional data of, of any spirit baptism event in any of the occasions. Not that it didn't happen. It's just peripheral. So again, you pursue the centrals. And if you get baptized in the spirit with levitation and great balls of fire, like the old hymn says, then go for it, you know. But if you get the the standard experience where you pray, he gently comes upon you, and you begin to follow the promptings, it is the same gift, same voltage level, no how no matter how it's manifested. If your brother or sister was couldn't speak in English for six years and stuck to the ceiling and you know covered in, you know, dipped in gold or whatever, it's still the same gift. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes there's a different uh, reaction, a different manifestation of it. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, what you said earlier about how God knows exactly what you need. For me, it was very calm. I needed that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So based on what you knew about the Holy Spirit prior to your own experience, what do you think has changed about your understanding of who he is after your experience? 
I used to think, and again, probably assumed doctrine, although maybe some taught in there as well, but I used to think the Holy Spirit was very fragile and had very skittish nerves. Well, you sing the wrong song, the dove flies out of the window and doesn't return you know, for two months. Oh, you, you can, you just grieve him by, you know, the smallest little thing. And I thought that sin grieved the Holy Spirit when like, you know, blatant sin or any kind of sin at all. Um, what I found instead is that biblically the Holy Spirit has his waiters on and he's going through people's sewer to reveal Jesus to them. And I think that the Holy Spirit very well may be in stronger manifestation in a crack house than he is in some church houses because he's trying to deal with people at their point of need, reveal Jesus. John 16, 8, he convinces the lost about their sin, about God's righteousness, and that time is running out, the urgency of that moment. And for someone to say, oh man, the Lord just Ichabod over our door because we sang the wrong song or whatever, oh, that song didn't have the anointing. That's, that's superstitious. That is superstitious. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit from the moment you're born again. God wants to save, heal, deliver, help, set free. And for people to get rabbit's foot about the Holy Spirit stuff is just really, it's offensive, I think, to him. And it certainly is to me. So <laughs> I'm unanimous about that. Yeah, but some, some of those things, you know. Um, now, if, if you want to grieve the Holy Spirit as a Christian, disobey him, shut him out, don't listen to him, keep on in your own way. But if, there, if you're a believer listening and you're struggling in some kind of sin or bondage, then even more draw near to the Holy Spirit and welcome his help and listen to his voice and let him fill you with strength and character. And that's where the overcoming power that you need comes from, not from thinking he's mad at you and running away from you. you know? um, those were some of the issues. Uh, I also thought if there was a great move of God, it needed to be loud and lots of music. Most of the uh, receiving times in our meetings are rather chill. You know, I, I don't let anyone sing during the respe- receiving time because having lyrics in your brain or on a screen is just one more thing to have to process. You know, pray for something else, sing away, but just, you know, go ahead and play a song and, and uh, come up and start climbing the mountain of the Lord. Let's see what we'll discover, you know, together rather than grabbing someone by the head and shaking them until their eyes bug out. And, <laughs> and when I was, someone was praying with me uh, to receive spirit baptism, I was about probably about 11, maybe at the time. And a little uh, old lady in our church is real sweet. I mean, she walked with God lady, but kind of old time hair in a bun kind of a thing. And she said to me, when I went to the altar, I was really excited that she was going to pray with me because she was one of God's favorites, obviously. <laughs> and she said, she, she would go on the bus all the time to the Catherine Kuhlman meetings in Pittsburgh. And she said, okay, the Bible says, open your mouth and I'll fill it, which has obviously has nothing to do with spirit baptism. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, so I was an obedient kid open my mouth. She goes, now stick out your tongue. And so I stuck out my tongue, then close your eyes. So I closed my eyes. And the next thing I felt was her thumb and her index finger pinching my tongue and trying to shake it in my mouth. Ah. <laughs> and my therapist says that one day I'll get over that. And, uh, but that's one of those things uh, that you just kind of never get over. No, no. I mean, it's fine. There's so many different ideas that people have about this. And I've found generally, if it's superstitious or weird, it's probably not biblical. There are times that God comes with you know, wow, glory, signs and wonders and whatever. But for me to chase that every day is for me chasing the exceptionals and not being satisfied with the usuals of God, which are spectacular and will keep me grounded and keep me focused on the mission of Jesus. What adjectives would you use to describe the person of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Very patient, (laughs) very present. Then the curious hyphenated word, gentle strength. Because, I mean, he's like a hydraulic press. I mean, gentle and slow, but 
you know, just constant force. I've also found that he's very, very forgiving and tender. Like, uh, I, I've, over the years, I deal with a lot of folks that say, oh, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit when I was 16. I cussed or something like, you know, uh, cussed and said his name, whatever, which is not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. But, but, um, and, and I'll say, well, let's, let's go through your history now. Let's, let's look a little bit. Cause if he's really not there, have you ever felt bad about a sin? You know, have you ever felt convicted? Hey, you know, do you kind of, have you ever felt God's presence? Have you ever, you know, Bible verse ever meant something? Oh, so he really, oh, okay. You know, and so I found uh, he's, he's just so patient and relentless like that. And I'm so thankful for it. But he also is on task. If you want to waste his presence by, you know, fundraising a golden prayer retreat in Maui, you know, <laughs> and sending out, you know, junk mailings and all that stuff, you, you will leave, he will leave and you won't even miss him because you're not in his mission, but his favorite thing is the mission of Jesus or are the lost coming to Christ. And some of the people that I've met that are most exude the power of God are humble missionaries. Nobody's heard of that are working with unreached people groups in the far corners of the world and operating in signs and wonders and raising the dead. And nobody ever hears about them because it's just off mission for me to brag about that, you know? And I I love that about the Holy spirit. Mm. It's awesome. Is there anything else you can think of that is just, you know, pressing on you that you'd like to share with people listening who may, may have questions? Yeah. Wherever you're at, always be hungry for more and going deeper. There is no apex in your Christianity where you have now peaked and now you can retire to the spiritual nursing home and crack open a can of cream corn and start at it. You know, there's just never that moment. There's always more from God. And one of the, from, from my tribe, uh, within the assemblies of God, one of our major problems and deficits is, and this is terrible language, but we're pretty good at getting people to speak in tongues, which I know it's bad language, but we really stink at telling them what to do with it afterwards. Mm. So we have rooms full of people who can speak in tongues and don't have a clue how to talk to their neighbor. Mm. And so this is really about growth and learning and asking the Holy Spirit questions and seeing what did the Holy Spirit inspire people to do, even Jesus to do. You know, what is the mission of Holy Spirit? It's the mission of Jesus. So the more you get empowered and then get on target and on task with the Holy Spirit, then the more you naturally see his power flow and you don't end up being some weirdo, uh, hopefully. And so, you know, it, these are the, the getting empowered and staying empowered and staying in that spot is, it's an art in the Christian life because you can start to get confident and competent about certain things and not rely on the Holy Spirit in those areas anymore. And if you're not pursuing him for to stay humble and focused in that area, but also welcoming him for new areas, then you can get to a spot where the empowering of the Holy Spirit is just a historical thing in your life. And that's really scary. Hmm. And would you like to share your website and any other kind of resources that you think might be helpful for people? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff there. If you go to our website, which is enloministries.org, E-N-L-O-E, ministries.org. There is a bunch of free stuff on there. You can buy stuff too if you want, but there's free stuff. And there's an audio recording on there from good night. It has to be 20 years ago. And it was just one of those nights. It was in Sacramento, California in a, a church out there. And the Holy Spirit just came down after the teaching and about 500 people baptized in the Holy Spirit that night for the first time. But the teaching, for whatever reason, we've kept it online and it's kind of gone around the world. It's free. It's free on the free page. There's print stuff on there that's free too. Free is good. You know, unless it's liver and onions, then not so good. <laughs> but there's also, you know, we were always busy doing books and stuff like that. And, and there's all kinds of stuff on there as well that might encourage someone. 
Awesome. I would love to end by having you just pray for the listeners, if you would. Let's do. Father, I thank you so much that you are the ultimate promise keeper. You keep 100% of your promises. And I'm so thankful, God, that you would indeed pour out your spirit on all flesh, people like us, people with hangups and misunderstandings. And thank you for your patient ways, God. And I pray, Father, for each one of us that you would constantly make us hunger and thirst for more of you, for deeper places in you, for deeper understanding from your word, to live a more biblical and holy life. Always call us deeper, I pray, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would salt our tongue to thirst for your living water, the waters of your spirit. Maybe so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the More of God podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and the way he's working in our world today, I'd love for you to check out my website. It's www.themoreofgod.org. And if you've got a great story about the Holy Spirit and how he's worked in your life, I would love to hear it. Please go to the website contact form and drop me a little bit about what's happened in your life. And I'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Thanks so much.